For any of you who might be visiting, um, we normally do a spring lectureship, and uh, this time we're doing a summer lectureship, and it's my turn in a series of lectures that would have been in spring of 2020, spring of 2020, so we're a year and a half late, so this has been hanging over my head for a year and a half. <laughs> and it is quite intimidating. Normally I'm I'm at work, I work in a big, a big company, and you know, when I talk to people, I'm normally looking into a web camera, and I've gotten used to that. So seeing a bunch of people is quite an intimidating sight. This year's theme for the series is we are members of one another. And the, the main verse is Ephesians chapter four, verse 25. Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And the topic for me this week is, do not speak against or complain against. So, how's that for a topic? I, um, it's, it's casual conversation for me. I've been in the corporate world for over 20 years. The last 10 years as a, as a manager, so, you know, I don't get normally worked up about it. It's, it's normal for me to deal with this type of problem and to talk about it. So, I'm pretty desensitized and I'm not troubled at all about things like this. Um, but I will tell you that people in the world are, are bad. Um, you not only have to worry about what you say, but you have to worry about what they say that you said. And that can be the, that can be the, worst, that can be the worst part. There are some people that I classify as, as landmines. You know, they're people that I steer clear of, that I don't go close to, um, that I wouldn't talk to them without a witness, and I definitely wouldn't let them close the door when I'm, when I'm talking to them. But it should not be that way in the church. So, you know, and I'm not aware of any problems here. This is the assigned topic. It's a topical lecture. Um, so, you know, if I say anything that's too close to something, I don't know about it. Um, forgive me ahead of time. The uh, seed passages for the lecture are James 4, verse 11, and James 5, verses 9, 9 through 11. We'll read James 4, uh, verse 11 and 12. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? So the first part of that, do not speak against one another, brethren. James 5, verses 9 through 11 says something very similar. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. 
So I want all this tonight to be biblically based. I'm going to try to present an organized lesson from the Scriptures. Uh, I'll try to talk about some basic principles from the Scriptures, some definitions of words that are commonly used in the Scriptures. Um, then talk about some scenarios and some consequences and some recommendations and, and conclusions. All right, so speech is one of the most difficult aspects of life to control. I can say that without doubt. Uh, James 3, verses 5 through 7, talks about just how serious it is. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of birds and beasts, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men, and we have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be this way. So our words can cause great damage. But on the other hand, James 3 verse 2 says that we can control our speech. We can control all areas of our lives. I'll read James 3 verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to rein in the whole body as well. We'll read Titus 3, verses 1 and 2. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. And also 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and all envy and slander, like newborn babies, longing for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So what harm is caused when we speak evil of a brother or sister? One, it can harm each other's reputations. Two, it can get outside and harm the reputation of the church. Three, it can hurt people's feelings. Four, but the most dangerous thing can be found in Romans chapter 14. And I'll, I'll, it's several verses I want to read, but the end, it shows the importance of, of the target. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. 
For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. So this stumbling block language is, is serious business. Let's look at uh, a couple things Jesus said. Matthew chapter 13, verses 41 and 42. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks, and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into a furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Also Mark chapter 9, verse 42. Jesus said, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if, with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. I would say that speaking evil about one another can cause people to stumble, obviously. Then Jesus talks about how if your hand or your foot or your eye causes you to stumble, it would be better to cut them off than to go to hell. I think that's a good illustration of how important this stumbling block language is. The Bible gives guidelines about speech, and specifically about, about uh, how we should speak about other people. The Bible deals with terms like slander and backbiting. So we're aware this is a common problem. You know, I deal with it regularly in the world at work. Um, people love to talk about other people, of course, especially if they you know, can say something bad. People really like that. You hear it, you know, in the backyard, over the backyard fence, talking to your neighbors, on the phone, social media nowadays is a big one. Way too easy, by the way. Newspaper columns, magazines, TV and radio talk shows, they're all devoted to the latest gossip about movie stars, politicians, public figures. People love digging up dirt. I think most of us would admit ourselves that we have a problem with our speech. How many of us can honestly say that we've never said something about someone else that we realized later that we should not have said? There is a wrong way and a right way to deal with issues with other brethren. We'll first talk about the wrong way. Scriptures are clear on this, provide many examples of how, of how not to do it. First, let's define a few terms. Um, at least from a biblical context, these are some, term, some definitions that I could find that, that, that match pretty closely. Gossip is rumor or talk of a personal, sensational, or intimate nature. Rumor, unverified information of uncertain origin, usually spread by word of mouth or hearsay. Slander is the utterance of defamatory statements injurious to the reputation or well-being of a person, a malicious statement or report. To uh, backbite is to speak spitefully or slanderously about a person. Tailbearer. A person who spreads malicious stories or gossip. To rail, the scriptures use that word sometimes, 
to condemn or attack in bitter, harsh, or abusive language. And then to revile, to denounce with abusive language. So we'll talk a lot about gossip and slander. Some people believe that all talking about people who are not present would be gossip, and therefore wrong. Others think saying bad things about people not present is gossip. Or some think talking about things you don't know to be true about others is gossip and wrong. There are many ways to be guilty of speaking improperly about other people. Not everything that some people will call gossip is wrong. We must let the Bible define what is wrong. Simply speaking about someone who is not present is not necessarily sinful. Many inspired men did this, but we wouldn't claim they're wrong. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 7 and 8, an angel uh, told the women to tell the apostles about Jesus' resurrection. They were to speak to the apostles about someone who was not present. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus told people how great John the Baptist was. Acts chapter 11, Peter told Christians in Jerusalem about the conversion of Cornelius. In all these cases, someone spoke about people who weren't present, and there was no problem with them doing that. We often do similar things, and we know it's not wrong. We may tell good news about somebody. They had a baby, or they got a promotion, or they got a new car. Uh, we may tell an interesting or humorous story or anecdote about people that aren't present. You know, we know the people involved would not object to us talking about them. We should use good judgment when doing that, of course. And we sometimes make announcements in our assemblies. And we even pray to God about people who are not present. Someone who's out of town or somebody who's sick. Usually these people have asked us to do that. Um, and we know that, you know, the person that we're speaking about is not harmed or injured in any way. Going back to the scriptures, Sometimes even telling unfavorable or uncomplimentary things about people not present is not necessarily sinful. Read Matthew chapter 15, verses 12 through 14. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you not know that the Pharisees who were offended when they heard this statement about something that Jesus had just said? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant will be uprooted. Leave them alone. They are blind guides of blind people. And if a person who is blind guides another who is blind, both will fall into a pit. So Jesus had gotten done rebuking the Pharisees. His, his disciples told him that he had offended them. And though the Pharisees weren't present, Jesus proceeded in chapter 16 to warn his disciples about all the errors of the Pharisees. The Apostle Paul later told Christians in Galatia about a sin that Peter and others had committed in Antioch. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of some men from James, 
He used to eat with Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and separate himself, fearing those from the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. And when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews. So, in fact, Bible writers often record events in which various people committed sins, even naming names and even naming the groups involved, even though the people who committed the sins were obviously not present. Did these inspired men sin? Certainly not. Here are some more examples. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith, among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. And then 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And Paul also says similar things about people in other verses. I've listed a few there where he's obviously saying unfavorable things about people that aren't present. So what is sinful gossip? What should we not do when speaking about other people? First, there's a few more verses for context. For I'm afraid that when perhaps I come, I may find you to not be what I wish and may be found by you to not be what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. So some of these terms put it in context with with being able to define what sinful gossip and slander are. 2 Peter 2, verse 1. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And then Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32. This has got a big list of stuff in it. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So that was quite a list. Uh, wickedness, greed, murder, malice, with terrible consequences. But notice what's in the list that's relevant to what we're studying, gossips and slanderers. So gossip is when you're talking, ab talking about other people 
with no real purpose or about them in a way that's not proven as being true. Slander, in a way, takes it to another level. And it happens far too often. In fact, in the world, you can be sued by someone for slander. It's verbal defamation. Uh, the law specifies things which are elements that you have to prove in order to sue somebody for, for slander or defamation. Simply put, anytime you say something false about someone which hurts their reputation, you have committed slander or defamation. So it's something false that causes harm to somebody. When I was reading uh, about this, I was following various trails and and I read that the word, the modern English word devil comes from a Latin or Greek word diabolos. And uh, that literally means slanderer. Um, so again, it involves saying unfavorable things about a person that are not true. Sometimes it's not an outright lie. Someone with malicious motives may just want to plant a seed of doubt. Uh, about a brother or sister uh, when they're speaking with somebody. They may something, say something specific about what a brother did or said or believes. They may say something like, he or she seems like someone who would do that. Or they may try to say that a brother or sister is like someone else who did a certain thing. I found a quote Alfred Tennyson said, a truth which is half a lie is among the darkest of lies. People do this a lot. I think that's a special type of slander. There's obvious malice and malicious intent in uh, doing that kind of thing. We talked about a legal defense to slander or defamation simply to prove that what you said is true. But even still, spreading a word about a brother or sister is not the correct way to deal with the problem. The New Testament scriptures give clear instructions on what to do. Next we'll go over some uh, scenarios. Some people accuse others of doing wrong when they do not know it to be true. It's not necessarily wrong to sincerely ask someone what they did, but it's slander to accuse someone to other people without substantial evidence that they're guilty. Exodus 20, verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. 2 Timothy 3, 3, again in this one Paul lists another number of sins that characterize perilous times. Uh, the list, like the other one, includes slanderers in the New King James. King James says false accusers. Uh, New American Standard, malicious gossips. And then Titus 2, verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips. And then there's several passages I found that are similar, similar in nature to those. Another scenario, what if we circulate a false report that somebody else started? 
Can we blame them and remain free of guilt in doing that? Mark Twain uh, said, or wrote somewhere, he said, A lie can walk halfway across the country while the truth is still at home lacing up its boots. So this, this kind of stuff goes fast. People spread rumors and slanderous gossip quickly. Many times you'll hear things like, well, I don't know this to be true, but I heard. When you hear that, beware. It's probably not, probably not true. Exodus 23.1 You shall not give a false report. Do not join your hand with a wicked person to be a malicious witness. So no matter who originates the accusation, we shouldn't repeat it and spread it until we have substantial evidence that it's true. The fact that somebody simply made an accusation is not enough. Anybody can make accusations. Lots of innocent people in the Bible and since have been falsely accused. So we need to know what the evidence is. First Timothy 5, verse 19. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. So it's another scenario. If you suspect a thing and you can't prove it, what do you do? So we must have evidence before we make accusations. If we don't have proof, maybe we need to ask questions. Maybe we need to doubt the source. Uh, but don't affirm guilt until the, the proof is in. 1 Timothy 6, verses 4 and 5. He is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a sick craving for controversial questions and disputes about words, from which come envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction with, between people of depraved mind and deprived of the truth. So sins listed here include abusive language and evil suspicions. It involves jumping to conclusions without adequate proof that what a person did or why he did it, that it's true. Often in a time of conflict, people circulate all kinds of rumors and motives that they don't have any evidence for. Proverbs 24, 28. Do not be a witness against your neighbor for no reason. And do not deceive with your lips. Again, it's not always wrong to speak against someone, but there must be adequate cause first. Matthew 18, 16. Again, establishes the burden of proof. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter may be confirmed. So just like in our legal system, the Bible confirms that testimony of personal witnesses uh, constitutes evidence to be evaluated. So, you know, obviously there are limits on our knowledge of, of what others have done, but when it comes to knowing what other people have said or done, sometimes even reliable sources could be sincerely mistaken. But a sincere mistake is significantly different than just being negligent about truthfulness, being indifferent to truthfulness jumping to conclusions or circulating unsubstantiated rumors. 
Another scenario, some people make derogatory statements from malicious motives. We must uh, sincerely seek to be sure our accusations are true. Even when we have the truth, that does not mean that we have the right to spread the information. Some people think they can say anything about anyone as long as they feel sure that it's true. Also, there's a question of motive. There must be good reasons for telling bad things about other people. Sometimes people simply spread stories because they want to hurt the other person's reputation. 2 Peter 2, verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So again, based on this verse, slander is associated with these things, malice, deceit, envy, and uh, hypocrisy. Ephesians 4, verse 31. All bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander must be removed from you, along with all malice. Colossians 3, verse 8. But now you also rid yourselves of all of them, anger, anger wrath, malice, slander, and obscene speech from your mouth. And then 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20. For I'm afraid that perhaps I may come and find you not to be what I wish, and may be found a bit by you to be not what you wish. And perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, anger tippers, selfishness, slanders, gossip, arrogance, and disturbances. Another situation could be uh, vengeance, or anger, or hatred, or grudges. These things happen. Uh, Jeremiah uh, 20, verse 10, back to the Old Testament, Old Testament prophet. For I have heard the whispering of many, terror on every side. Denounce him. Let's denounce him. All my trusted friends watching for my fall say, perhaps he will be persuaded so that we may prevail against him and take our revenge on him. So these are Jeremiah's enemies talking. They, they denounce him and defame him in order to get revenge. So let's go to a few verses that show the correct way to, uh, to handle. 1 Peter 3, 9, Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you would inherit a blessing. 1 Peter 2, verses 21 through 23. For you have been called for this purpose, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you would follow in his steps. He who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being abusively insulted, he did not insult in return. While suffering, he did not threaten, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So again, the example here is, we should not return evil for evil, nor reviling for reviling. Jesus set the example in this. So some people think of vengeance as just taking physical actions uh, against other people, but one of the most common ways to take vengeance is by saying things to hurt others. Other people harm us, or we imagine that they harm us, um, to get even, 
someone accuses us of something, so we respond, well, what about the time when you did this or that? So that's not the appropriate way to, to, uh, to deal with it. Sin must be rebuked, but when we do so, we must be sure that we're motivated by concern for the sinner and concern for others who may be involved, not by desire for vengeance. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. And we labor, working with our own hands. When we are verbally abused, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we reply as friends. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. Another situation could be just self-will. Like say, when other people oppose our views, it could be in personal matters, it could be in doctrinal matters, we may seek to get dirt on them, to discredit them and keep others from listening to them. False teachers are often involved in reviling. They hope to find fault in those who speak the truth. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 28. All of them are stubbornly rebellious, going about as a slanderer. They are bronze and iron. They are all of them corrupt. Third John 9 and 10. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call to attention to his deeds which he does, unjustly accusing us with malicious words. So he's saying here that Diotrephes loved preeminence. One of his methods was to speak evil about the apostle John. So John was going to confront that when he, when he got there. We see, we see a technique like this in politics. We see it again and again, sometimes called the scorched earth policy. Um, politicians oppose one another, an election's coming up, it usually happens close to the election. Somebody will leak some personal information. Um, sometimes the opponents, even in their own party, to, to make them look bad. They'll go to any lengths. So speaking evil against others so that we, we can win a confrontation and get our way is not the way to approach it. Another scenario. Some people simply enjoy meddling in the personal affairs of others, spreading dirt about other people. Um, they feel important because they know some intimate personal affairs um, that other people might not know. Um, tabloid magazines, newspapers, and TVs, they sell their products and they make a living this way. Um, they delight in digging up dirt, people delight in buying it. Uh, they become rich by spreading dirt by the people who buy it. So 1 Timothy 5.13 gives instructions to young widows 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 11, noted how some refused to work but, and had become busybodies just because they were idle. They didn't have anything constructive to do. 
and they spread rumors about others. When other people do wrong, instead of sorrowing and trying to help them, they enjoy talking about it to other people. Counterproductive. Again, there are times when some information needs to be made known in order to help the one who did wrong or to help other people who have a real reason to know the information. But we must make sure we're speaking for the good of others, not just because we enjoy being busybodies. Some people broadcast private sins instead of personally confronting the sinner. Matthew chapter 18, 15 through 17, the Bible gives clear instructions on what to do. Now if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that on the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. The sin is to be made known to others only if the brother refuses to correct when he has been personally confronted. To spread a personal matter before doing this may cause unnecessary harm to, to your brother or sister. And it may drag other people into the confrontation unnecessarily. When the brother's been confronted, has refused to correct the wrong, however, then we must get others involved. Let's talk about some consequences. Slander alienates friends and promotes strife and contention. Proverbs sixteen twenty eight. A perverse person spreads strife, and a slanderer separates close friends. How many times have people become alienated because of slander from other people that was being spread about them? That could be that stumbling block language that we were talking about in the beginning. Proverbs 26, 20. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no gossiper, quarreling quiets down. So these verses we've read about slander, they often associate it with strife and contention and division. And that's like fuel to a fire. People may say harsh things about one another. They may drag out all the dirt they can to discredit one another. They may bring up old wrongs that were corrected long ago or old matters that were overlooked until a blow-up occurs. Then it's all brought to the surface again. People say, do you know what so-and-so said about you? Others may respond, well, I remember years ago when he did such-and-such. Others may become upset and respond by saying nasty things or by dragging up things the other person said. Soon you got a major conflict on your hands. It was all started by somebody spreading some form of slander in various ways. Slander can also destroy a person. Proverbs 11, verse 9. With his mouth, the godless person destroys his neighbor but through knowledge the righteous will be rescued. 
I've known people who've lost their jobs, their happiness, their freedom uh, because of slanderous character assassination. And it could get worse. 2 Samuel chapter 10, David sends his servants to comfort the king of uh, Ammon when his father had died. Uh, David's servants um, went there to comfort, but the king's advisors, they slandered David, saying his servants were spies. So a war resulted. People were killed because of totally untrue slander. So how many congregations have been torn apart by unfounded slander? People made untrue accusations, spread malicious rumors, or refused to confront people privately and personally like it should be done. Again, any, anybody can make an accusation. What, what we must consider is the proof. If it's lacking, then we must not spread the accusation. We must not treat the accused person as guilty until the facts are known. So if people continue to accuse somebody when they lack proof, the people who are doing the accusing are the ones that are wrong. Psalms chapter 101, verse 5. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. I will not endure one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart. So what about us? Have we been guilty of slander? Have we kept our speech pure? Have we shown true love for our brothers and sisters? If we have slandered others, have we repented and asked for forgiveness, particularly from those people that were harmed? Psalms chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Lord, who may reside in your tent? Who may settle on your holy hill? One who walks with integrity, practices righteousness, and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with the tongue, nor do evil to his neighbor, nor bring shame on his friend. Second Timothy 3, here's another passage that includes gossiping in a list of very bad things. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. There are three passages in 1 Timothy and Titus where Paul is talking about proper and improper behavior of women. Same principle applies to everybody. 1 Timothy 3, verse 11. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. 1 Timothy 5, verse 13. At the same time, they also learn to be idle. They go around from house to house, not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. So some people gossip just to gossip. 
More often, people think of it as gossip, but what they're really doing is more complex than that. Sometimes people are trying to do some coalition building, spreading propaganda to prop themselves up or to ostracize somebody else. Um, when this happens, the gossiper themselves may have done something wrong, trying to create a smoke screen to uh, cover it up, cloud the issue. The person they're gossiping about may have done something wrong, and the gossiper thinks it may somehow help their plight if they get as many people on their side before they address the issue with the offender. Seen that one many times. It's just wrong and dishonest. The, uh, the Bible spells out clearly how to deal uh, with other people, how to address these types of issues. So this is the, uh, the focal point here, I believe. Love is the most important consideration um, in each of these issues. We've got to remember that truth and facts are far more, far more difficult and time-consuming than lies. You have to work at these things. If you're dealing with an issue, you have to be very thorough. You need to really take time to think it through. Think about every angle, every perspective. Also, you have to be sure that you've taken every possible issue into account. You have to be right when you talk about other people. If you're only 50% right, then you're 100% wrong. Uh, another phrase I heard one time, being half right can be the most egregious error. So let's talk about the right way to handle issues with other brethren. Scriptures are very clear. They even specify exactly how to handle it. They even give a step-by-step -step process in, uh, in how to handle it. I think we looked at this one before. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. And again, there are situations where the Bible commands us to tell people about bad things other people have done. But there's a process for it. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he doesn't listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, Tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. If a Christian sins and will not repent, we're commanded to tell the church. So under certain circumstances, we must tell other people about what somebody else has done or said. Just as Jesus and his apostles spoke about the sins of people, we're required to oppose error and false teaching. Uh, in doing so, we may mention sins or false teaching that people have committed. We need to warn other people to avoid these errors. Um, it may not be wrong to do that. In some cases, it may be required. Sometimes when people hear uh, that this has happened, they claim that they were done wrong. They say we gossiped about people, 
And it's possible, of course, to speak wrongfully in such cases, but the Bible examples show it's not necessarily wrong. So many cases, God requires us to do it. So just because we've spoken about someone who is not present, even saying bad things about them, does not necessarily mean that, that we've sinned. A few more verses for context. Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. Be on your guard. If a brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns back a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And then Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, Jesus says, Therefore, when you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. So, what if we're on the receiving end? I've been there many times. Um, my, just some recommendations. Apologize. Make peace. Your relationship with your brother or sister is far more important than any dispute. And if you're wrong, make it right. If somebody confronts you with what they believe is a legitimate issue, listen carefully. Ask questions so you can be sure to understand what they're saying. Sometimes other people's impressions are pretty accurate. I've learned that the hard way, too. Uh, you've probably heard of two magicians named Penn and Teller. Um, they were doing an interview one time, and I heard Penn say, Nothing fools you better than the lie that you tell yourself. Usually, if you've done something wrong, then you've probably fooled yourself into doing it don't even know that you did it. Most of us wouldn't consciously do something wrong. So listen to your brother or sister. There may be some merit to it. Consider it carefully before you agree or disagree. If they are right and you have a problem, correct it and thank them. They were being your friend. Another thing to consider, what if you didn't do anything wrong? Make peace. Somehow, make peace. What about after the other brother has repented or apologized? How many times do you forgive them? Jesus said 70 times 7. So a few, a few more takeaways. 
don't get involved when others spread slander or gossip. Uh, again, some people just enjoy spreading dirt. So you don't want to participate in that. You don't want to encourage or cooperate with a slanderer. Those who backbite or slander are usually guilty themselves. Talebearers must have somebody to tell their slander to. By giving them a listening ear, we encourage their evil. When you hear gossip or slander, instead of listening, we should challenge their evidence. Challenge their motives. Ask them, how do you know this to be true? Why are you telling me this? What proof do they have? What good are they doing by spreading such information to you? If they can't properly defend their speech, then rebuke them. Proverbs 20, verse 19. One who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. They'll say sweet things to, one, to people's face, but slander them behind their back. Remember, if they treat other people this way, they'll treat you this way. So, another reason not to associate. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. If people continue such conduct and don't quit, we should limit our association with them. By avoiding them, we've, we're not influenced to act the way they do. We won't be tempted to spread information that they spread. Another recommendation, we should carefully examine our own motives. To correct our speech, we have to examine our hearts. Matthew chapter 12, 33 through 37, talks about what the mouth speaks depends on the condition of the heart. So to correct our speech, we must correct our hearts. Slander is caused by sinful motives. So before we speak, we must carefully examine our hearts to be sure we speak from proper motives. Speak from, speak from love for the good of other people. Matthew 22, verse 39. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If we stop being primarily concerned, concerned with pleasing ourselves, we can learn to be concerned about what's best for all involved. It may help us improve our attitude and put ourselves in the other person's place more accurately. Ephesians 4, verse 29. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but if there is any good word for edification according to the need of the moment, say that, so that it will give grace to those who hear. The goal in speech is to edify others and to impart grace, to build others up, help them be right according to God's word. We need help too. We should desire people to correct any sins. We should desire them to be forgiven. So rather than spreading slander about people when we hear about sin, we should hope for their repentance and their forgiveness. 
Luke chapter 17 and verse 3. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Galatians 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, even if a person is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to himself so that you are not tempted as well. So if a brother is overcome in sin or a problem, seek to restore him and seek to help him. That should be our desire. Even if the sin was a personal offense toward us, we should sincerely want what's best for the other person, for the brother or sister. What's best is always to repent and be forgiven. Whoever is wrong, whatever has happened, um, we all want to be saved. But sometimes it requires that the person be shown what the problem is with sincere concern for his soul. The goal is not to take pleasure in spreading news about the sin of other people, but it's to help the brother or sister. Another recommendation is to pray for people who have problems. Instead of rejoicing when we hear people who have problems, instead of maliciously spreading evil reports about them, we should pray for their welfare. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 and 28. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who are abusive to you. Even those who persecute us and misuse us should be treated with love. We should pray for them and seek God's blessing for them. Pray that they'll receive whatever is truly good for them. Jesus prayed for, for the very forgiveness of people who, uh, people who killed him. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. As he was being crucified, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. He was our example in suffering. He didn't revile. He didn't say he wanted things bad to happen to the people that were doing bad things to him. Likewise, we should pray for those who do wrong to us. We should pray that they receive what's truly good for them. When we hear reports of people who have sins or other problems, an attitude of love and prayer will help us avoid many of these problems. So in conclusion, like we read in James, the tongue is full of deadly poison. Like a small flame, it can kindle a great fire. Our speech can destroy the well-being of other people. Colossians 4, verse 6, your speech must always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Proper responses, proper answers are those that will help people to be saved and to help people in their, in their goal. Our, our goal is the same. Our goal is to get to heaven, to please God. It may include telling people that they've sinned and they need to repent. It may include warnings to people so that they avoid sin. 
but it must always be spoken with a sincere concern for their welfare and the welfare of everybody involved. David wrote in Psalms 141, verse 3, Set a guard, Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. There's no quote that I've heard in various ways. I don't even know where it comes from. Some people say Eleanor Roosevelt says, Great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss things. Small minds discuss people. Sometimes it's backwards, but... I think about that when I'm talking with people. I think about that. I think about, you know, okay, is this a situation where I don't want to talk about people, I just want to talk about ideas and things, small talk. Um, as a general rule, that's probably the best, the best course. James uh, chapter 2, verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are judged by the law of liberty. 1 Peter 2, verses 16 and 17. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. So, in conclusion, the most important consideration, again, is love. Closing verse. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent us His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So thank you for listening. I appreciate the opportunity to speak. Um, again, this was a topical lecture. It wasn't intended to be an invitation, but we always want to extend the invitation. If anybody's here who wants to become a Christian or they may need help in spiritual matters, if this is the case, please come forward while we stand and sing.